Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Jerry Jones here, and welcome to another special edition. And uh, on this month's episode, I have with me um, the preeminent uh, expert, the number one resource that the dental industry looks to for questions when it comes to insurance and how insurance can affect and um, uh, be profitable or unprofitable for practices. Um, I have the guy on the phone with us today, Dr. Charles Blair. Dr. Blair, you can hear me okay, I take it? Yes, I do, Jerry. Hello. Hello. Fantastic. I'm uh, excited to have you on here. And um, you're out all the way on the other side of the United States, uh, out in, in uh, am I correct, North Carolina? Charlotte, North Carolina. Holy Toledo. And I'm uh, out here in Salem, Oregon. And um, today we're going to be talking about uh, something that you've spent the last, uh, what, three decades or, or, or better um, really uh, mastering and then distilling it to make, make it easier for the rest of us to understand this monster called dental insurance. Um, you've got an incredible uh, store at practicebooster.com. Um, every dental office in the United States should have your products. I'm just going to plug you right up front. Um, uh, we've ordered one of your books. We've got two more um, on, on the way um, for my own office, and uh, they literally have become sort of the Bibles uh, for, for dental insurance, um, now including some cross-coding with, uh, with medical insurance as well. So, um, Dr. Blair, um, you don't need much of an introduction. I mean, you are lecturing all over the United States to uh, study groups as small and large. You and I recently spoke. Um, we were on the same uh, on the same ticket, if you will, recently at, a, at an event down in Florida, the American Academy of Dental Practice, um, and, uh, and and here we are on this uh, on this wonderful uh, dentistry confidential uh, business of dentistry audio series. So. Dr. Blair, I'm going to turn it over to you and, and have you give our listeners a, um, maybe a snapshot of what you've been up to in the last year. Um, and then if you wouldn't mind, how about just like a couple of big, big things that have changed in dental insurance just in the, in the, last, um, in the last 12 months? Uh, we can start there, and then obviously you and I have a lot of material we can cover here in the next 50 minutes or so. Well, we certainly do, and it's a changing marketplace. And uh, my first book was uh, 2004. Uh, back then and prior to that, I had the Blair McGill Advisory and had been in uh, uh, practice management, selling practices and uh, uh, financial planning uh, newsletter, you name it, uh, just kind of along the way. I've kind of climbed a mountain, Jerry, about every 15 years in my life. And so in 2004, I felt like the ADA code book was just not adequate. It was a list of codes and uh, there needed to be, you know, extensive uh, uh, narratives and and warnings and and various and sundry things, comments, limitations of these codes. So I designed our materials, all of our materials. If uh, Grandma can decipher it, then we write just a pair of small paragraph. But uh, uh, some of the coding, for instance, the perio coding area. Sometimes we're writing two or three pages, and of course each sentence is important. Along the way, I picked up the Insurance Solutions newsletter, and then we founded uh, Practice Booster Online, which is the uh, code resource, uh, I'll call it kind of coding on steroids, if you will, along with the Insurance Solutions newsletter archives for three years on Practice Booster, along with uh, a forum and along with other uh, resources. Then I found that uh, in this PPO business that particularly, and, and really elsewhere, the insurance administration, our call center gets over 6,000 calls a year, and uh, more than half are not about coding, but they're about insurance administration questions. And of course, our company, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, we don't have a lawyer in my company, although my son-in-law, Joe Jordan, is in a lawyer, but he's in the transitions area, practice transitions area, uh, but the administrative questions would start off almost, uh, is it legal for me to do this, legal for me to do that? Mm -hmm. And so we found that the 
first edition of the administrative book three years ago um, was uh, about 200 pages. The next edition was over 300. The current edition that we're shipping now is 418 pages. And a point of reference is that the code book is 448 pages. So we anticipate the admin book to actually be thicker than the uh, and more content than actually our code book. And then along the way, we added two more medically related books. After that, uh, the uh, medical coding for the dental claim. Interestingly, the dental claim and a lot of doctors and teams haven't looked at that form maybe too closely. But there's four ICD-10 diagnostic code blocks. And, of course, at this point, it's primarily the Medicaid programs in 10 or 12 states, some of the Affordable Care Act plans uh, with embedded pediatric benefits uh, require these diagnostic codes on the dental claim. So we developed a book along those lines. And then finally, uh, lots of people were questioning about uh, medical cross-coding, and can I code medical? Well, if I made the statement that you're crazy not to get the medical book because medical covers all kinds of things, that's really a lie. And then to say that medical doesn't cover anything, it's not worth learning it, that's kind of a lie. So in between <laughs> is the truth. And uh, we find that uh, on medical coding that it's difficult, it's precise, uh, the medical coders on the medical side of the coin go to school for a couple years, and uh, medical is pretty complex, but we think we have simplified it, and each edition of our books get even better and better and better, and as you know, the first one you turn out is just a tremendous amount of um, effort, and so our medical cross-coding manual, frankly, I had no background in it. Uh, I know plenty about dental coding. But uh, the medical coding I have learned, and uh, we had four medical coders that uh, worked on that for about a year and a half with me, and and then hopefully because I didn't know much about it, I tried to design a book that would be quite helpful for the for the novice. And so medical coding uh, does come into play. Uh, sleep apnea, of course, comes into play. Uh, we're seeing also Jerry more of the dental companies, for instance, on a surgical extraction, have now deleted the name uh, surgical from it, but the extraction that requires sectioning or bone removal or both in order to get the tooth out of the mouth, uh, we're finding more dental plans say you've got to get a, a medical denial or a payment and then we'll pay the claim. And so Medical is coming in much, much more, and uh, we have questions, you know, are implants covered? Well, that's very specific. Is a cone being covered? Medical is very different than dental. If dental pays for an x-ray, I can just put down a pan. I can put down bite wings, and as long as it pays and it's within the limitations, no problem. But on the medical side, you can't just put down the cone beam and say, pay me. Uh, that cone beam has to be associated with a uh, with a procedure that is covered by the medical plan. So, for instance, there's a tumor in the jaw. Medical insurance covers removing the tumor. Then they're going to cover typically the cone beam associated with that. Mm -hmm. And if there's implant coverage, again, not so much. But, hey, we're seeing after trauma now, we're seeing more and more uh, companies after trauma could be a car accident or whatever that they are paying for uh, implant restorations so I would say the the coverage is positive of what we see uh, biopsies and uh, implants and TMJ and you name it uh, so we've got quite a spectrum there of, uh, of books in the dental area and the uh, medical area well, uh, Charles, let's. Um, I had a couple of uh, specific questions, actually. I mean, one is uh, self-interest of mine, um, and, it, and it has to do with uh, offering um, uh, a new patient exam offer. So let's say, for example, I send out a postcard, and on that postcard, and I know uh, this question is a, a popular one that you get probably, 
But on that postcard it says um, new patient exam, $39. You'll save, you know, $200 or something like that. Um, and then some postcards I see will say um, not valid with insurance, uh, patients with insurance not valid, or it might say, um, uh, you know, uh, patients uh, uninsured cash only or you know my or cash fee it might you know say something like that um, for an office that is a uh, well for any dental office um, is that a challenge how does that work what what should the the office be doing um, to make sure they're not getting any trouble with the insurance commission or or the insurance companies I should say um, how does that work well, first of all, that's probably about the most complex question you could ask, and um, it, it <laughs> also is uh, uh, also uh, uh, a complete answer would be that you really need a healthcare attorney, and probably for five hundred to thousand dollars, you could find in your state uh, what uh, you know what aspects would uh, would be. I can give you though some generalizations um, on this. Uh, first of all, when you join a PPO, uh, the PPO contract is, say, three to eight pages. They make reference to the processing policy manual. Now, that could be 150 pages, and very, very few offices ever get that. It describes optional services, and it describes a lot of the contract, essentially, between the provider and the PPO. Now, the PPO language, virtually all of them, have language that, for instance, you can't do uh, copay forgiveness, uh, deductible forgiveness with the patient, but then there's state and federal laws also that kind of back that up, plus the ADA Code of Ethics. The PPO says that you can't, uh, you must give the PPO either their fee or your fee, whichever would be lower. So if my fee is normally $100, the PPO fee is 30% off, say 70 then if I'm offering a, a special at $60, then the special would be 60 and 60 would go on the claims form. Now, what we see with some of these folks is they'll run an ad, for instance, the $99 special could be 39 and the patient comes in, well, Ms. Jones, uh, we'll honor your coupon here. We do have the special of $99, but you do have insurance, so we're going to file with insurance, and uh, let's say it's $250 worth of insurance, and insurance uh, pays it, and uh, we're going to honor, though, the 99 so we're going to keep the 99 Any excess uh, would be going to your account as a credit balance going forward. Jerry, I just described really two ways to go to jail. And so, so uh, we we can't play around with those kinds of things. Can you run a $39 special? You bet. But it would apply to everybody. It would be misleading to overbill and and so forth. And so, in these areas, I would be very cautious and uh, would definitely get a a healthcare attorney in your state to sign off if you're doing some of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people will say, well, it's cash only uh, or it's uh, whatever. Well, that's a violation, again, of the a direct violation of the PPO uh, contract. The contract will also spell out optional services, which is very important if the patient wanted uh, some form of an upgrade. Um, also, if I'm going to do a roundhouse, 30000 uh, case on Ms. Smith, and I'm in her PPO, and uh, she needs a lot of work. Uh, can I do that for the $700 a unit that they allow? And all of those extra units, they're not covered. So we get into fee capping for non-covered procedures there, and about 36 states have laws against it. And so what that means is that... Uh, 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 if I'm in, say, North Carolina, I do 10 crowns. The first couple crowns are under the PPO. The remaining crowns uh, are not covered. Well, under North Carolina law, those extra crowns, I'd be able to get my full fee, not the PPO fee. But there's what 
folks don't know is that the insured plans are the ones covered by your state law. And so an insured plan is an individual who buys a policy or it's a small business that buys a policy. That's under that's an insured plan that's under the uh, state, for instance, North Carolina here. Uh, if there's a prompt payment law of paying claims, then that falls on these on the insured plan. And if the law has been passed, then that affects the insured plan. That's only though, Jerry, 25% of people uh, roughly have insurance that have insurance. 25% of them are what we call the insured plan patient. 75% of people walking in the door have insured plans, uh, self-insured plans. And these self-funded or self-funded plans is the correct name. The self-funded plan can be a, a union. It can be a, a hospital chain. It can be uh, a large company, uh, uh, American Airlines, Google, so forth and uh, could be the State School Teachers Association. The self-funded plan is under federal law, and they can fee-cap me. And what that means is the PPO says, Dr. Blair, your first two crowns are 700, and these extra crowns, the next uh, eight crowns, are also 700. So they can fee-cap me on orthodontics, like Invisalign. They could fee-cap me on uh, uh, veneers, uh, uh, fee cap on implants. Well, we don't pay for those implants, but here's your fee. Right. And so even tooth whitening, Jerry. Uh, so a lot of people say, well, you mean I've got to turn in tooth whitening? Yes. The PPO plan uh, processing policy manual says all charges must be sent in. So, wow, it gets confusing. And this is where our administrative book comes in in detail. And you wanted me to talk about kind of some changes uh, out here. Well, in our profession, we have three major changes. And the first major change is PPOs coming in. 14 PPOs roughly are sold for each indemnity plan. And now on the West Coast, particularly, we're seeing out your way, uh, California, uh, we're seeing EPOs, exclusive provider organizations, and there you're going to find out if the patient really, really loves you because if they're out of network, they get zero under an EPO. Right now, they come to you out of network. Sometimes the out of network benefits actually are quite generous. Uh, so that employer might say, we want to treat our employees really well. And if they do go out of network, we're going to have a good, robust fee schedule. And then sometimes they say, well, if they go out of network, we want to punish them, and we might pay it half the price. And then on deductibles, we might change instead of a $50 deductible, maybe it's a $100 deductible overall. So uh, the PPO change is, is really, really large. The second thing that's coming in, of course, as you know, is uh, – uh, corporations, they're parachuting into many, many states, and our profession is being what we call rolled up. And other professions and things have already been rolled up. The physicians uh, went into group practices, and then now the hospitals uh, own about 70% of the, of the profession, gets a W-2 from a hospital on, on medical doctors. So, uh, the corporations, and who knows, 15 years from now, we might be like optometry or whatever, half the dentist work for a corporation. And so that's not all bad. There's certain numbers of us will like that, others will not. And then the third thing, big change, is moving from the solo practice with CAD CAM, cone beam, and all that. The most efficient model is to build a two-doctor facility, put three doctors there, uh, rotate some hours, run seven to seven, five days a week, half day Saturday. I've just kind of given you a general uh, schedule of some of the corporations out there. Yeah. So yeah. You got lots of changes in dentistry. Um, you mentioned something early on, and I and I think um, it, 
at the risk of it just being completely ignored by our listeners. I think it's something that is really important. It, it, important enough, I wrote it down, and it's something I'll send an email to our administra administrator about at my office, and that's the processing policy manual. You mentioned these can be quite lengthy. Um, if if you were to um, if you were to be able to talk to GPs that are uh, accepting insurance or involved in PPOs, what areas of that processing policy manual would you tell them to focus on? Like, I'm sure there are probably some catch catch you areas or catch all areas, you know, where a doctor might go, oh boy, I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm not doing that. Um, where would you advise them to go and look in that uh, in that manual to? Sort of, uh, is there a summary, or is there something there that you know you, you're you're going to want to make sure you read? Yeah, they really need to read the entire manual. It's it's quite uh, complete in a sense. And and Jerry, actually, uh, if you're a Medicaid provider, there's a processing policy manual. Uh, FedVIP, uh, federal employee, there's a processing policy manual, and then every PPO you're in has one. And then Delta Dental has two. So in your uh, state there, Oregon, there's the Oregon Dental uh, Service. And mm -hmm. if they sell a plan and a patient comes in, it's under the Oregon Processing Policy Manual. Now, there's also Delta, has Delta USA. And that's for a national uh, sold plan. So, for instance, let's say Coca-Cola in Atlanta or Walmart in Arkansas might uh, uh, sign a national plan with Delta and here comes a Coca-Cola employee into your Oregon office, they're under Delta USA manual, not the Oregon manual. Now these two manuals are getting kind of closer and closer, but there are some nuances. So I did want to let the listeners know that uh, there's two manuals. And I would say that's maybe the number one thing that offices don't know about PPOs is uh, this manual. Now, once you get into the manual and roll your sleeves up, uh, it'll, it'll say things such as uh, all soft tissue management is a part of doing a filling, part of doing a crown. Uh, it'll say uh, we don't pay the same surface twice on the same day. So on number three, if you do an MO, and a separate DO, they're going to convert that and pay that as an MOD. And so uh, lots and lots of things they say in there, of course, that you can't do copay forgiveness. Uh, here's another one, is they dictate when you turn a procedure in. And most of them say that the incurred liability date, uh, you know, would rule on an individual policy, but a lot of PPOs say, that you'll submit us a crown on the seat date. You'll send us uh, in for a denture upon putting it in the mouth, not the impression. And so this trumps the ADA claim form. The ADA claim form that you sign every day uh, multiple times, down at the bottom it says, I certify the procedure is completed or the work is in progress. And so if I'm out of network, say I'm out of network with Aetna, then I could file the crown on the prep date or the seat date. But if I'm in network with Aetna, then the processing policy manual would rule. And a lot of times uh, they say that, uh, you know, it's, it's on the seat date. And so uh, uh, that's where you get all the nuances. Uh, you get all the don't do stuff, if you would. And, of course, if you violate that, that is a violation of a contract. And uh, to my knowledge, every uh, Delta, every uh, dental board out here, uh, you can't engage in unethical conduct. And so insurance companies, if they find a doctor is uh, uh, miscoding or, or misdating things and uh, uh, doing copay forgiveness or whatever it might be, can can put in insurance companies can can file against that doctor and then of course the state board has to investigate and can be a you know can be an issue so that's how that uh, how that uh, works um charles some of these um <clears throat> uh, well i have some good clients i know you've come across uh, some great folks in dentistry as well 
who do very well with uh, with PPOs. In other words, they're a part of their practice. Their their businesses are profitable. Um, what sort of advice would you give to a dentist who is either considering entering the PPO game, or um, or considering even getting out of it? Um, based on what you're seeing take place or transpire in the industry, um, what are your thoughts about those two positions? Well, for many years, uh, probably there's very few people that have probably fought PPOs more so than myself out there as far as just telling doctors, you know, here's 10 things you can do. And and that worked. I think that worked fairly well up until about the last five years ago uh, or so, last five years, uh, when I've kind of changed my tune that uh, uh, the number of PPOs are getting so numerous out here and the fact that the indemnity plans are just disappearing makes it extremely difficult. And so whether to join or not, uh, say, an existing practice, uh, I look at really three things. I look at the collections for like the last three years. What's the trend? Are those collections trending down 5 uh, 10% or so or even worse? I look at the new patient count. That's code 150 or 180 if you would use it. We look at the new patient count and what are the trends again over a several year period. And then a key one is how far is the doctor booked out solidly? So if the doctor's booked out solidly, a week and a half to two weeks solid, we consider that to be good. If you're booked out less than one week out, you're grubbing around. And I'm not talking about last-minute appointments in your schedule. You're going to always have those changes. But I'm talking about fundamentally booked out. Now, if the doctor's booked out six weeks out and is in 30 plans, they need psychological counseling. And so... <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. So... so uh, uh, we look at, I'll call it these key performance indicators as indicating, you know, what is your status. And we're up to the point now where roughly 95% of the offices nationally uh, participate at least in one plan, and that typically would be Delta Dental is the, is the strong, strongest insurance uh, uh, companies out there in terms of uh, participation of doctors and uh uh, now, getting out of plans, you can look at that in your PPOs almost as a stock, uh, five or six stocks. You're in five or six PPOs. And we look at the PPOs in terms of fee structure. Uh, we look at uh, administrative hassle uh, type thing. We look at the quality of the patient and that kind of gives us information, if you will, of who we want to join or who we might want to uh, uh, get out of. Also, some PPOs will negotiate, depending on your zip code and the status. Uh, you need to go to the PPO either annually or every two years. There are some third-party uh, negotiators out here in the marketplace. And so, uh, it, you, it's a it's a situation I think of of management. A brand new dentist, uh, just a cold start out here, and particularly in an urban area, uh, I just don't know how they can open on a a, a, a full fee uh, type deal. Um, frankly, we see a lot of the young dentists open up in an area. They join a bunch of PPO plans in a metro area and then hopefully at the end of the year they declare victory if they made as much money as their dental assistant so <laughs> yeah so uh, the, <laughs> the uh, um, debt service is huge i think around 250 275 but the private schools can be 400 point of reference uh, jerry my i graduated from chapel hill university of north carolina in 1974 with 11,000 debt that's about 44,000 debt roughly now in in those dollars and wow. so um, th these are these are serious challenges to our profession but I do want to say quickly though that Jerry there's nothing like 
I think being a dentist, I think the younger folks will not maybe make the money that the older dentists have, not as much. But I think as far as fulfilling and fulfillment and if you can work around that debt, and uh, particularly if you could go in the military and and have no debt after, say, four years in the military, that's that's a, a great uh, deal. Uh, but a lot of challenges. And so those are kind of some some uh, decision-making there as to whether to join or drop, you know, drop plans. Right. Um, you, mentioned, uh, in, you mentioned three of those things, fee structure, administrative uh, hassle, and quality of patient. Um, fee structure, pretty self-explanatory. Obviously, some are more robust than others. Some, uh, for example, um, Delta Dental or ODS, Oregon Dental Services here in Oregon, um, have a, has a very robust fee, fee schedule. Um, it's in many cases comparative to UCR for a lot of doctors, so it's a pretty robust schedule, um, and it makes sense to be a part of it. Since, especially me, I mean, our office it's right here in the in the capital, state capital. So a lot of the state workers, uh, all the state workers have um, dental insurance. That's uh, you know Delta Dental. So the fee structure side, very easy to sort of determine if this makes sense or not. Um, the the next two points: administrative hassle and quality of patient. Um, Tell me if you have any sort of metric that we could share with our doctors listening to this on on those two areas. Um, you know, are there are there com- are there PPOs out there that have a reputation for uh, having a and maybe you can't name names, but you know some that have a reputation for being difficult to work with uh, or have a reputation for producing a, a patient that may not meet our our standard uh, that we're looking for. Sure. Uh, let me address first, you were mentioning the Oregon Dental Service uh, fee structure was pretty good. Delta Dental has uh, Delta Premier, and uh, many doctors are grandfathered under uh, the Premier fee structure, and the Premier fee structure could be 10 15% if fees are modest. Uh, uh, your fee schedule might be close to Premier in certain states. Um and but you've also got delta PPO, which is commonly say 20% less than delta Premier. And now we've got states. Uh, there's five six states that if you join delta, you must join PPO in order to be in the Premier. And in California, if you even move your office, I understand you go to a, if you're a grandfathered uh, Premier uh, doctor and you move your practice in California, I understand that you, uh, at that point, uh, would be paid PPO fees if a PPO patient comes in. The vast majority of Delta patients walking in a door have Delta PPO, not the Premier. So if you're Premier grandfathered, you get the Premier fee, and they do pay a little bit more out of pocket, you know, to come to you. So that's a little bit about Delta. Now let's go back to your other question, uh, the quality of the patient and the administrative hassle. The quality of the patient might be, again, without, uh, 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 say, maybe school teachers. It's a school teacher PPO, and they tend to go out of pocket for maybe more complete care of optional services, and then maybe uh, uh, another PPO is uh, some other, uh, you know, industry or whatever that would not, say, be as good as the school teachers, or it could be vice versa. So when we're saying quality of patient, that's kind of where we're coming from, from the quality. Uh, they're coming in, they're making their appointments, they're paying their bills, uh, uh, they're interacting with your treatment plans. So I guess that would be kind of a uh, umbrella, if you will, for the quality of patient that you would examine. Now, the administrative hassles, usually the doctor can find out about that pretty quickly. They simply ask their business team, you know, which one of these insurance companies are the toughest to deal with. And when we say toughest to deal with, it could be that they say that uh, core buildups are not a part of the deal and uh, those are uh, uh, disallowed. Now, deny means, and this is another key for the listeners, is deny a procedure is denied, say, by Delta. That means Delta won't pay for it, but 
you can collect from the patient. And a lot of people don't realize, yes, you can collect from the patient. Disallow means Delta won't pay for it, and then you cannot uh, charge the patient. For instance, pulp caps. The coding reads that bases, liners, and etching is included with a composite or an amalgam, and so I do a pulp cap separate. And uh, so, for instance, the PPO says uh, you cannot charge the pulp caps. You've got to write, you know, write that off. And I have doctors ask me, then why do we have pulp cap codes? Well, the reason is if I do just the pulp cap today, cover it up with IRM, restore the two three months from now, then uh, the pulp caps, the direct pulp cap, the indirect pulp cap are often paid. So the other administrative hassles uh, would be, uh, oh, they want six millimeter pockets before they'll pay for scaling and root planing. Uh, or, you know, every uh, SRP I turn in, they're questioning it, uh, et cetera. And so administrative, you know, hassles would be related to to not paying claims, you know, timely uh, according to what the, you know, dental office would like. Right. Um, so you mentioned deny and disallow, um, and I've seen, uh, like, for example, I was looking at, a, um, at an, a, a form, an EOB that had come back in our office, and um, it very clearly states, you know, it has it's sort of set up like a table across the top are the categories listed, and then, you know, beneath that, um, the patient information, you know, the, the procedure code, the procedure, is it allowed or disallowed, and how much is the copay, deductible, all that stuff. You're, you know, you're basically reading across the line. Um, and it should, it should state on most EOBs that if something is denied or disallowed, right? I mean, it's very plain. It should, be, it should appear in a standard format uh, on an EOB. I mean, at least most of them that I'm looking at. Is that is that the case? Yeah, yeah, that's a generalization. It can be a little confusing or the language might be a little bit different. Uh, I used to say that uh, putting in a predetermination was useless. They're not legally binding at all. If you look at the bottom of a predetermination, it'll say that uh, this is an estimate only. There's no guarantee of payment. But I find that uh, uh, with when you're in the PPO, you really need to file it so that you'll find out what the uh, uh, fee structure is that you're looking at, and um, uh, so it's not a you know it's not a surprise. And uh, the PPO requirements, we get this in our call center every week. Somebody calls in and says, "Well, we." did $6,000 of um, implants on Ms. Jones of implant work, and we knew that uh, it wasn't covered. She had already used up her benefits on some other stuff, and she knew it, we knew it, so we never turned it in. So then she came back, though, and asked us to turn in that work, and now the insurance company says we've got to give two grand back to the patient. Is that true? Do I have to do that? And the answer is yes. And so what they ran into was this fee capping for non-covered procedures where the PPO said, well, we're not paying for that right there, but the fee's too high. You've got to do it for X amount of dollars. So it's important to put in the predetermination so that there's not uh, any uh, uh, surprises. Right. Uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to put, point out that a lot of doctors uh, don't know is that when we have dual insurance, a lot of times they, they don't really calculate that. And if I could, I'll just give you a couple of comments about that. Yeah, please do. Uh, uh, the, the fee that goes on all claims is your full fee, if we're filing PPOs, or the actual fee that the patient's paying. Discounting is generally okay. Grandma comes in, preacher comes in, neighbor, dental assistant's husband, and I want to give my preacher 50% off. And uh, so it's a thousand. He goes outside to the writes his check for $500. He then makes a comment, can you file my insurance? My wife says I've now got insurance. Sure, preacher, be happy to do that. Now, that what would go on the claim? 
1000 or 500 We recommend putting the $500 fee down. Is that going to affect your UCR with insurance companies? Not, not generally, just something like that is not going to make it a difference. An alternative way would be to put the 1000 down in the remarks section, say that uh, the patient received a 50% discount to the fee shown. The problem is these claims are auto-adjudicated. They're often not really read. Sometimes they read if they want to. Sometimes they don't. And so then the claim could be overpaid. So that's why we suggest $500 be goes on the claim form, not, you know, the 1000 uh, Another thing is that uh, uh, the copay forgiveness, again, is that's where the patient doesn't pay their portion. And so if you did it, and again, we're not lawyers, but if you did it very, very infrequently, and if if you did do it, we would recommend that you put on the claim that to the third party, to the insurance company, that the patient is not participating in the cost of care. So the patient's not paying their part. Now, what happens there? A lot of times, again, auto-adjudication of claims, automatically paid, no human eyes. But if it was looked at, looked at, odds are they would say, this policy requires the patient to pay their part. If they don't, we don't pay, you know, anything. So that's uh, a little bit in that area. Now, what about dual insurance? Uh, the key on dual insurance is the patient gets, let's say there's dual insurance. Primary simply means that the first claim goes to primary. If that's an individual, I go in, I've got a policy. My policy is primary. My wife's policy on me would be secondary. If it's a child, we have the birthday rule. The parent that has say daddy's birthday is February, mama's birthday is August, then daddy's birthday or daddy's policy is going to be primary. And all primary means is we put in the full fee. Now, we always put the full fee, the primary is the first is the first claim. We never, ever put the PPO fee down. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Why am I putting PPO fees into the computer? is to calculate patient, patient responsibility. I say, Ms. Jones, I'm the front desk. Ms. Jones, I want to explain to you how your insurance works here. Uh, we are contracted with Delta Dental, and we're contracted to do the work at the Delta Dental fee. Now, our fee is $1,000, but the Delta Dental fee on, on recent claims is running $800. And so that is the contracted fee, and we're obligated to do the work for 800 And you can bring to the prep appointment $400, uh, which is an estimate. The claims form is going to have 1000 on it, and then we will recognize the EOB uh, accordingly. Now, the patient gets the benefit of the lower contracted fee, so let's say I'm in Delta Dental and we're doing, say, $1,000 of, 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 of uh, work and uh, Delta Dental's fee is 800 for the work and, say, United Concordia is 700 for the work. Then the patient gets the benefit of the lower contracted fee and that is $700. So if both plans together pay 700 or greater, patient's out of the loop. But if the two plans together paid, say, 500, we would get 200 from the patient and write off 300. Uh, so the patient gets the benefit of the lower contracted fee. Now, in quizzes that I give my audiences, uh, uh, this that I just said is often half the audience will be right on that. 95% of the audience will miss this. Let's say that we get $900 in and the primary PPO fee is 800, the secondary is 7. So the money we've received is above the PPO fees. So many offices think, "Wait a minute. I can't get above 
the PPO fee? And the answer is you can receive up to the full fee that you place on the claims form. So I put, let's say my full fee is 1000 I put 1000 on primary and it's promised and it's uh, processed. I put 1000 on secondary and it's processed. So if I receive two checks, I have not been overpaid uh, until I receive above $1,000 from both checks. And uh, many offices don't realize that you can get up to your full fee sometimes when you're working with uh, two lousy PPO plans. So sometimes secondary will coordinate up to the full fee of the practice, and secondary's check uh, plus primary uh, could equal the best of odds uh, of, of everything is to get your full fee. So you've not been overpaid unless you get above, you know, above that fee. There's four reasons. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Yeah, there's four reasons to put a PP to put your full fee on every claim. One is to influence the PPO with my full fee or insurance company, uh, whether I'm in or out. Uh, number two, I want to measure write-offs. This will allow me to track and know which plans are better than others in terms of write-offs, which is a key thing. Number three, I want a full fee to capture any PPO increase. My fee might be 100, the PPO fee 70. If I put 70 in, what if they start paying 72, 73? So by submitting $100, I'm going to get that PPO increase of a couple dollars. Finally, I need to put my full fee on the claim form so that secondary, when they get ready to pay the claim, they know what the full fee is and they know what primary paid and then they know how they're going to coordinate benefits. Now, coordination of benefits is good. It means that there's two insurance companies that they both pay if there's two insurance companies involved here. Coordination of benefits means that secondary is going to write a check in addition to primary, but secondary's check will not exceed an amount that would overpay you above your full fee. Um, now, non-duplication of benefits is bad, and that's often the self-funded plans. And coordination of benefits means that secondary Let's say I'm secondary. I'm ready to pay $500 on this claim. But primary pays 500, I pay 0. Now, if primary doesn't pay, they've run out of money, then secondary will pay. But that non-duplication of benefits is bad news. So when a patient comes in and says, "I've got dual insurance for my son here. I'm sure we won't have to pay anything." That could be true if it's coordination of benefits. But it could be wrong if it's non-duplication of benefits. So I'm throwing out uh, uh, here, Jerry, in, in our conversation, a lot of just terminology, processing policy manuals, uh, contracts, uh, you name it. The summary plan description is the booklet that the patient brings in. But the keys to the kingdom is the plan document. That's what the insurance company uses to administer claims. And uh, uh, the plan documents, under, again, 150 pages long, very extensive of what's covered. Well, the office can't get that, but the patient can. Under Department of Labor federal law, the employee can go to Human Resources and get a copy of the dental plan document, the 401k plan document, the medical plan document, and so all of these things that we're talking about here, what I find, Jerry, is that most offices are decent with their coding. Do they know it all? No. Do they miscode things? Yes. But where the lack of knowledge in our profession is on the administrative area, and it's just exploding. And quite frankly, I can't believe, you know, I keep discovering things, and I lecture on this and, and find so much that I don't know. So anyway, it's it's complex. It, um, and it is. You answered the question I was going to ask, by the way, and that and that had to do with um, uh, this last four thing, the four reasons why you list your UCR fees. Um, that that catches me by surprise. Um, 
I've uh, I've heard uh, some uh, some folks say that you should um, you know have your UCR fees and uh, in, in addition to each plan having their own fees and then you bill. So when you submit a, a, a you know to an insurance company a billing, um, you're submitting it based on their fee schedule, not on your UCR fee schedule. So would you make that a is that sort of a carpet statement over uh, over all insurance companies? Would you always submit your UCR fees? Would that just be that's a, right? I know of no exceptions uh, of not submitting the UCR fee unless your actual fee is less, like the preacher example of uh, 1000 of work and you did it for 500 then 500 is is your fee. But uh, with PPOs, we put the PPOs in the computer to calculate patient responsibility mm-hmm. and, and not to file claims. That's right. the bottom so you're doing line. Treatment plan presentation. Now, now some of the yeah. team think, well, if I put the PPO fee in, I don't have all these write-offs. Or the doctor might say, gosh, we've got all these write-offs because we're putting our full fee in and I can be embezzled easier. There's all kinds of you know things said. But at the end of the day, uh, the full fee should go on all claims forms. Oh, boy. Good, good. Um, so we're, we're getting towards the end of our time here. And uh, this has been, I, I have three pages of notes. Um, many of which referred me to, you know, to my own policies and procedures at my office and systems that we need to look at. For for um, for those listening that uh, are not familiar with uh, with your offerings, um, I'm going to categorize those folks as a as uh, beginners and advanced. So the beginners, for a beginner, so maybe a new practice or someone who's just starting to sort of get into the insurance game and they've never really been in it before. Where would you suggest, or or what uh, at the Practice Booster Store would you suggest beginners dive into? And by the way, I'm not asking folks to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. We're looking at uh, anywhere from a hundred to four hundred dollar investment on um, uh, on your products and services. Where would you recommend they start? Like what of of all of your incredible books that you have online uh, on your site at PracticeBooster.com? Where would I start if I'm a beginner? Well, I think that. If you want paper, now some people like online. So if you if you want paper, we have a bundle. Uh, it's $189, I believe it is. Uh, we have a bundle made up of the dental code book and the administrative book. Those two books in a bundle uh, would uh, would give you the foundation of coding and the foundation of insurance administration. Now, if you want it online, then Practice Booster Online is $297. Now, it includes the electronic version of the dental book, and it includes Insurance Solutions Newsletter. That's 18 pages of research every other month that we publish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Practice Booster plus the admin book would be a a package, so either the 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 paper product bundle, code book plus admin book as a bundle, or practice booster plus the admin book. And really, frankly, whether you're a beginner or seasoned, those are the you know the fundamental products. Then, if you're in about twelve different states, if you're a pediatric office or a Medicaid office. Um, in 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 certain states, then the book on how to do ICD-10 coding on the dental claim, that's the book probably least needed by the audience as a percentage. And then if you want to put the toe in the water on medical cross coding, uh, that's 366, I believe it is. And uh, you might say, well, that's a pretty good fee. Well. We've got uh, some pretty good expense in the book in that it's 500 and, or correction, 623 pages. We also pay royalty to the ADA for the dental codes, and we pay royalty to the AMA, American Medical Association, for the CPT medical procedure codes. So the medical book, uh, you've got to be serious. When you get it, you can't set it on the shelf and say, now we'll file, file claims. Uh, Jerry, that involves a, uh, uh, a commitment, but I'll tell you, a lot of these doctors have got fabulous teams, and 
and really motivated people. And within the team may be a key person who really, really would love to learn the medical coding. And our book is going to give them the uh, foundation for that and uh, the ability to file the claim. And frankly, most of the of the errors made on the medical claim is is really uh, filling out the various blocks. And the medical claim, unlike the dental claim, has a lot of blocks that you don't need to fill out because they're specific to maybe an ambulance or a hospital or another specialty. And so uh, uh, the medical claim is much more complex, I feel, or is difficult for me than the uh, dental claim. Well, there's a lot more to do with uh, with the human body outside of the mouth, um, and so I can imagine it's more complex. And there's a lot more pro- potential providers involved, um, and so I can imagine that it is incredibly complex. Yeah. Dentistry is complex enough. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. So. And I wanted to tell you one other thing that that may blow your mind is that uh, you know I think dentists are so bright, and we've got such a bright profession. But on the other hand, Sometimes in the business arena, we're we're not so bright, and I'm going to run a statistic by you that accountants uh, universally uh, have up-to-date uh, tax code or, and, and software and, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, dental corporations are at 100% just about with our products out there or at least with the ADA code book. But only 30% of offices nationwide today, if a patient walks in, have an up-to-date code manual for today. And 70%, uh, I would say that 100% of offices have code manuals. So when you walk into a dental office, a patient, do they have a code manual? Yes, but it may be 2011, maybe 2015. And a lot of people don't see the use. And I would just tell folks, too, that our code book is not just putting in the new codes, putting in the revised codes, but it's also looking at every single page, every word, does this still apply? And so our narratives and things, as the insurance industry changes out here and the way in which they pay claims, the way in which they have requirements, then we go in there and may change a narrative to include you know, just a few extra words, and the casual reader doesn't see that. But we put a tremendous amount of time in updating the book, trying to ensure that it's, you know, up to date. Practice Booster is updated every week, and so somebody calls in and says, I can't uh, understand this right here, and we look and say, well, you know what, they're right. We could say that a little bit better. We make the change. I sign off on it. And somebody logging on uh, thereafter is going to see the latest. And so the practice booster has the most latest, you know, information. Sure. Uh, by the way, the the medical book has a landing page, we call it, uh, and the administrative book does too. Uh, the books are getting so thick, so much information, that we are adding some additional goodies online. And the book gives you... The password gives you the place to go, and you can pick up some additional, you know, supplemental material. That's awesome. Um, well, I mean, it's, it kind of goes without saying if you're uh, if you're in dentistry right now and you don't have a couple of really great uh, resources. One, the the you know the the CDT book. Um, make sure you've got the most recent version, and then. Um, I mean, we've been a subscriber to your newsletter on and off for years. Um, and uh, it's been a it's been a great resource for us. So I mean, you know, we've got like I said, a, a couple of your books. Um, I can't imagine being in, in practice and trying to figure this stuff out without having these amazing resources uh, at hand. So, um, Charles, um, best way for folks, uh, obviously, they can go to practicebooster.com. Um, you offer some other um, you offer some other services as well through your company, uh, some consulting. Do you want to take a minute or two and talk about uh, those and how they work because they are uh, related in a, in a big way to insurance? Sure, I will. And I also wanted to put a plug in for the ADA. Their code book, quite frankly, you don't need if you have our book because we're licensed again with all the codes and. We have the added value of the narratives and so forth. But the ADA does have a book called The Companion, 
It's very inexpensive. It's either $39 or $49. And tonight we couldn't even get into this, but it's very controversial about alternating 4910 and prothes and can you take a patient from 4910 status and bring them back to prothe status uh, what is the orthodontic code if it's invisalign or clear liners so there's just topics we never you know really even got to tonight yeah. and uh, <laughs> I, I would highly recommend uh, the the listener pay the 39 bucks pay the 49 bucks and get and find out what god has to say about uh, about uh, some of this uh, uh, coding. Yeah. Now, in closing, I'll say a couple comments about our other services. Uh, we have um, we have a clinical treatment analyzer that, it frankly, with our programmers running behind, we're updating it. It's not really available now, but it'll be available in about six months. And what it does is it looks at how the doctor and hygienist do business. Insurance companies write letters, you're doing too much, you're doing too many crowns, you're doing too much of this and that, but you never get a letter that you're not doing enough. And so what this software looks at, it's about an 80-page report, is how do you do sealants compared to the rest of the world? How do you do core buildups? Uh, national average is roughly about 40 45% core buildups. So if you're doing core buildups only 10% of the time, you might want to kind of relook at at your clinical treatment intensity. So that'll be out. Uh, it's about $1,500 for the consultation. My son runs that. He's got an MBA. Uh, that'll be out uh, probably in about another six months. Uh, then I do personal, what we call revenue enhancement. I do several hundred uh, uh, offices a year, and I've done about 4,000 offices over the years. Uh, and this is one-on-one -on -one with me. It's two and a half hours. I play insurance detective. Two hours of it is roughly coding, looking at what they do, what they don't do. Uh, they send me their fees. They send me their counts of procedures. Uh, we give them a year of support. We give them $400 of, uh, of uh, uh, products. We give them practice booster, the admin book. That's $1,690 but you get directly a $400 rebate, if you will. So it's really a 1200 bucks or so. And uh, that's a, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, with me. And so those are the other, you know, consulting services that we have. Okay. You guys are far more than just, uh, just, just books that everybody should have. Um, far more. Um, this has been a fantastic hour. Uh, I would love to have you back uh, at some point, uh, Charles, in the future, and, and and have us maybe do a do an updated version of this. I know our listeners are going to get a ton of benefit from it. Um, and uh, you know, the nice thing is, I got to sit back and listen and take notes <laughs> instead of talk a yeah. whole lot. I was okay. I was very happy about that. Uh, sure, that's awesome. We could do a we could do another one in the future on maybe the top coding eras. And, I would love uh, to do that. Talk about you know a number of codes that. They don't know about like sectioning a bridge uh, that's failing code 9120 and just kind of give the top 10, 15, uh, you know, coding errors that we see out there. Oh, that'd be great. That would be great. Um, well, we will uh, we'll certainly come back around and, and, um, and get that uh, on this calendar for the next uh, 12 months. Um, any other last bits of advice you'd give uh, our listeners before we wrap things up? No, I, I would just say I'm, I'm really appreciative here, and with this changing marketplace, uh, my mantra now is copy the good things that the corporations do, the dental corporations, the good business things that they do, and don't necessarily copy some of the negative things that might be out there. And uh, uh, the, the, the doctor today has got to be nimble and quick, has got to do a little bit more than just studying, uh, you know, the clinical updates uh, and 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 working on the patients because there's this other side and we dentists don't like it too much but if you're going to survive in this landscape you got to really put your time in on coding and OSHA and HIPAA and just all the aspects of running a business I couldn't agree more I mean uh, it it def things have definitely changed and I think it's uh we're on a very um we're on an exciting – it is exciting times, but things are definitely different. And uh, for a lot of folks, they're having a hard time stomaching it. But uh, they have to if they want to survive. That's just that's just how it is these days. So, 
Well, Charles, it's been a pleasure. Um, for those of you listening, you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Blair, reach out. Uh, his website's practicebooster.com or Dr. Blair or Dr. Charles Blair.com is, is the other one. Is that correct, Doc? Yes, Dr. Charles uh, Blair and Associates, but our real website of where the story is and everything, it is Practice Booster, one word, practicebooster.com. All right, perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you, sir. If you'll hang on one thank moment, you, I'll. Uh, I'll uh, let our listeners go, and thank you for joining us, everyone, and we'll catch you next month. Thank you. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash jerryjones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503 503- Three three nine six thousand. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to the Jerry Jones Radio Show.